Welcome to the Age of Organizational Effectiveness. This is a podcast that explores stories about organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. Today, we're at episode number 109, and I'm calling it A Philosophy of Organizations. In this episode, I'm joined by a philosopher. Jean-Philippe Durante is a professor of philosophy at Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia. His research focuses mainly on social issues, particularly those related to work and employment. We discuss philosophy in the context of organizations and their management. And I'm now joined by Jean-Philippe Durante from Sydney, Australia. Thank you for inviting me to talk. And this is the first time we've had a philosopher on the program, uh, but welcome to the Age of Organizational Effectiveness podcast. Let me just jump right in to um, what was a paper that I saw that you had uh, produced. And, and it mentioned that philosophy has shown little interest in organizations thus far. And that's, that's kind of strange because the world is chock full of organizations. And many of the questions that philosophy has shown interest in are embedded within organizations. So why is this the case, that, that philosophy has shown little interest so far in organizations? So the first thing to say is, uh, as I say in the paper, I have to be careful with, with the claims about philosophy. Um, in, in, this, uh, in this paper, I talk about academic philosophy or philosophy as it is um, organized in philosophy departments. But of course, many theorists who are philosophically trained or who use philosophical ideas or concepts in other disciplines talk about organization, obviously. So in organization studies, in management, in business studies, um, organizations that are discussed. So my paper is, and the claim I'm making is just about philosophy departments. And it, it is true that organizations are very little discussed in uh, academic philosophy as it is taught in philosophy departments. There are many areas in academic philosophy that could talk about organizations. Social ontology could be or should be interested in it. Business ethics. In fact, you know, business ethics does talk about organizations, but on the philosophy side of things, actually not so much. And an area called social theory, which is the crossroads between sociology, theoretical sociology and philosophy. Social theory also could be interested in organizations, and political philosophy could be talking about organizations. But as a matter of fact, uh, in these areas of academic philosophy, there is little interest or discussion. There are very few publications on organizations. When, as we talk now, uh, I will mention two exceptions, two great exceptions to this, uh, two philosophers, contemporary philosophers who have published important contributions to a philosophy of organizations. But these are exceptions. Um, it's, there's very little literature, as far as, I, as far as I can tell, from professional philosophers on organizations. And the reason for this, I think it would be very complex, obviously, to give a full answer, but I can think of two reasons why this is the case. The first one is, the first reason is linked to what philosophy is about. Philosophy has an intrinsic interest in and, and um, is leaning towards universal 
meanings, explanations, and that's that's a good thing. Uh, philosophy is about concepts, meanings that would apply to all sorts of different cases. Philosophy tends to be conceptually based and therefore it does not initially start from the empirical, from particular situations. That's what philosophy is about. And the, the downside of this, the, the disadvantage of that, is that it tends to favor overarching perspectives, ways of looking at things, and doesn't want to go down too much into particularistic, uh, specific dimensions of social life. Obviously, there are exceptions to this. There are dimensions of social life which are particular, say, families, or there's a philosophy of friendship um, that is well-developed. But on the whole, philosophy tends to not want to go too much into the, the, the nooks and crannies, the, the nitty-gritty of, of social, social life, and therefore doesn't want to get into the black box of organizations when, for example, it talks about the economy, or there's a philosophy of economics, obviously, but the philosophical tendency would be to avoid getting into too detailed an account of yeah, the, the black box of how the economy works. So that would be the first reason, this, this tendency in philosophy to speak more generally and avoid empirical or particularistic explanations, even though, of course, a lot of philosophers today draw on empirical studies and some of them do empirical work. The second reason is uh, very interesting. In the history of Western philosophy, and today still, I think it's fair to say that the world of work, issues of work, are not a primary interest for philosophers. The world of work is somehow not appreciated by philosophers. It's a bit of a, of a topic that is, um, what's the word I should be looking for? It's a, the world of work is something that is undervalued by philosophers. You can actually trace it uh, through the periods in the history of philosophy. And today still, it's just not a topic that philosophers are interested in. And it's very interesting to try to analyze why this is the case. I think it's fair to say that there is an intellectualist strand within philosophy as a discipline, as a type of intellectual attitude and a, a, a practice, intellectual practice, which means that the discursive, the symbolic, the, the meaning aspect of things is favored over things that are too much close to the ground, to, so to speak, and to things that are too um, materialistic in a sense, like economic action. So you have a philosophy of economics, but it tends to be focusing on abstract concepts, uh, the market, property, but the nitty gritty of what happens on the ground, and especially with the world of work, tends to be something that philosophers shy away from. It's a very interesting dimension of, of philosophy. There's a kind of um, division of labor or a division of the world for philosophers between, let's say, the head and the hand. And the world of the hand, the world of, of um, doing stuff, producing, craftsmanship, work, tends to be undervalued by philosophers. And, and there are a few texts that try to analyze this. It's very interesting. So that would be my two answers. So you're right that philosophy is not defined by the objects it studies, but by its mode of inquiry. How could philosophy be used to better frame inquiry into organizations? 
So in the paper, I try to define very roughly, very uh, succinctly, what philosoph uh, philosophical outlook or methods is about, uh, to try and be a little bit precise, to, to try and distinguish philosophy from other scholarly modes of inquiry, like sociology or, or anthropology or organizational studies for that matter. What is specific about philosophy as a mode of inquiry? And I, I bring out three basic aspects to philosophical inquiry, which I think define it in its specificity. The first is what I call analytical acuity, uh, the, the, the attempt to distinguish between meanings, between, between things, between levels of inquiry, between different perspectives you can take on things. And so this analytical attempt at distinction, distinguishing between, between levels and things. The second one is synthetic scope. And this attempt on the, uh, in, in opposition to analytical distinctions to try and see how things fit together and how they work together to be meaningful or consistent or to function properly. This is, this is a second dimension of a philosophical outlook, I think. And the third one is to try, a lot of philosophical inquiry is trying to see how some normative, moral, or ethical, or political meanings or obligations or duties arise from or are attached to the way in which things are organized. So if we take philosophy to be about distinguishing, looking at how things work together, and then trying to draw some normative conclusions from this, if, you, if we think philosophy does that, then it's clear that philosophy has a lot to say about organizations. And a lot of the good organizational uh, writings and scholarship, uh, or some of the most influential ones, some of their, their contributions come from the fact precisely that they are philosophical. So they might not necessarily be termed philosophy in terms of the kind of academic uh, you know, department they would have been published in, but they will have a philosophical dimension to them based on these, on these three dimensions are, are, are just uh, outlined. So for example, if you take a, like very famous definitions of organizations or discussions of the rights and duties of organization, let's say Milton Friedman, some of the most defining aspects of those references, I would say are philosophical. Uh, the contributions they make to understanding what organizations are and what they do some of it would be come from the philosophical outlook on them, which is, would be beyond the, just the empirical dimension. So basically, I've got those three dimensions, analytical distinction, synthetic uh, scope, as I said, and then looking at the normative uh, implications. In terms of analytical distinctions, trying to define what an organization is, is a philosophical exercise. And it's very, very interesting. So in my paper, I tried to look at some of the literature on this. And uh, it's very interesting to review the ways in which organizations have been defined. And obviously, in organization studies, in management studies, this, is, this would be a well-known set of references. When organization studies theorists, scholars, try to define the object of their inquiries, I think they do something philosophical, uh, coming up with a relevant definition which covers a good enough number of cases is typically a philosophical exercise. So that's the first way in which 
philosophy, I think, uh, would be helpful to organization, to the study of organization. The second one at this level of analytical distinction is that I think a philosophical outlook can allow you to open up the black box of an organization beyond just the empirical study of particular organizations, which is important, of course, but the philosophical outlook will be looking for, as I tried to explain before, something that is general enough to capture some essential aspect or meaning of organizations above and beyond just this and this and that uh, example of organization, if you see what I mean. Something conceptual over above the empirical. And from my perspective, the type of philosophical work that I do, there's many, many aspects of organizations that a philosophical outlook could um, bring out like this with, with its work of analytical distinction. But there's one dimension I would, I would bring out now, uh, emphasize now, because that's the type of, of work that I've been doing with colleagues in the last 10 years. And this is dimension of organization where we look at them from the point of view of what an organization does. That is to say, the very specific type of working activities that are uh, performed in a particular type of organizations where the uh, effort of analytical description would be placed upon exactly analyzing those activities as activities. So what is involved in doing the work of being in a firm? What type of firm? Or, so firms are obviously just one example of organization, but there are also other forms of organization, let's say public organizations, an administration or a hospital, uh, which is, yes. So you, the, the philosophical outlook could be, in this case, a phenomenological outlook where you try to describe as precisely as possible the types of activities that are performed in, in particular types of organizations and then you draw conclusions from this. For example, there might be a gap between the way in which the work is actually performed and the way in which it is described by management or prescribed by management. And this gap would be very important for all sorts of reasons let's say for normative reasons for example it might be it might explain if there's a gap between what people actually do and what they are told to do or the way in which they are told to work such a gap can explain and you know i think it's corroborated by a lot of empirical research in fact such a gap could explain why things might not go so well in the organization but you would only um find out about this gap if you went down into the nitty gritty of describing the activity. And as you describe the activity, I think it would be beyond just the empirical. You would have to use philosophical concepts. So that's one example for the first dimension. For the second dimension, this idea of synthetic scope, bringing things together, seeing how complex systems work together, how things are placed within a complex world. Obviously, the notion of function or the aims that organizations uh, fulfill or try to fulfill would be something where philosophy could bring uh, a lot. And this idea of defining what a system is, uh, how an organization of organizations can come about and, and work well enough, let's say, firstly, and then so at the level of description, the description of a system, and secondly, asking normatively, what is the aim of each type of organization and 
what is the aim of the organization of organizations, which basically makes up a large part of you know, a country, a nation, um, a society. Uh, that would be typically philosophical outlooks. And in particular, I think a philosophical outlook, and here I think the reference I'm using in the paper, namely this German philosopher Hegel, would be really useful because he has a very precise answer to that question. If you try to look at the way in which organizations work together, as in function together, are linked together in a way that is functionally good enough so that they do fulfill their aims and things, things work relatively well in that society. There are not too many tensions and contradictions between different um, aspects or, or, or areas of society. One particular interesting dimension, I think, would be to look at what are the ways in which that whole system is governed, um, brought together, and somehow steered at a higher level of reflexivity. And usually this is done in modern societies in coordination with the state. So the relationship between state functions and organizations on the ground, let's say, what Hegel would call the relationship between state and civil society, that would be very interesting to look at. And I think it's typically something where uh, philosophers have in the past and would have a lot to say. And looking at the very specific logic of the interaction between state functions and organizations on the ground. The third dimension is the normative. And here it's clear that philosophy is very well placed because of this rich past and, and history of thinking about ethics and political duties and rights, looking at simply what the responsibilities of organizations are. And so organizations basically aim to fulfill particular uh, functions. Uh, an organization is a kind of collective that has a very specific function, uh, organizing it. If it's a hospital, it's to organize public health. If it's an economic firm, it's to produce, well, it's becoming a very interesting question. What are firms really about? What is the function of, of economic um, of firms or, or, or companies? Typically, these are normative questions that philosophy has a lot to say about. I would like to cite one reference uh, that I um, mentioned before, which is a, a great example of how philosophers can, can answer these, these types of questions and bring together those three dimensions I've mentioned, now, the analytical distinction, the synthetic view, and the normative inquiry. And that uh, example is uh, a young philosopher from Germany who now works in Holland, but he's, she has published a lot in English. She's becoming a very well-known and respected philosopher of, of economics and economic life. And so her name is Lisa Herzog, and she's published a book recently called Reclaiming the System, Moral Responsibility, Divided Labor, and the role of organizations in society. And that book is typically the type of contribution I'm talking about here. Uh, so she, the book precisely does open up the black box of organization to see how they work, looking at, looking at relations of authority within organizations, uh, duties within organizations. Um, she brings, she has a synthetic view where she looks at the way in which organizations fit together in society and she draws strong normative conclusions from it. So 
uh, Herzog, his Herzog's book, Reclaiming the System, is a great example of, of how philosophy can contribute to the study of organizations. And she is directly influenced by Hegel. Um, her background is in Hegel's studies. Her first uh, publications are about Hegel's philosophy of economics. So there's no, there's no surprise there. I think Hegel is a really strong reference for, for all these things. And the fourth dimension I'll refer to very briefly is that classically, typically in the history of, of Western philosophy, of contemporary or modern Western philosophy, one dimension in political philosophy has been the definition and delineation of big isms in political terms. Liberalism, republicanism, socialism, and the definition and critique or the defense of capitalism. So that, these are big picture uh, models, which are typically what philosophers are do, do and you, know, you might think are good at, trying to bring all sorts of dimensions of the world and history together to define a whole epoch and a political option within it. And within those big frameworks, it then makes sense to then become critical of uh, the way in which organizations are, are set up today. So for example, if you have a critique of capitalism for specific reasons, then you are able to say more specific things about um, the way in which organizations today are, are, are organized. Sorry, that was a bit of a long answer. Yeah, no, that was great. Uh, we'll have uh, links in the show notes to the book uh, you mentioned, uh, but let's, let's turn to management of organizations for a minute. Um, it seems that executives, um, as they're going through their career, acquire what could be called a philosophy of management, uh, and they use it, either consciously or unconsciously, to direct the behavior of their organizations, and that could be for either good or ill. So if we step back and look broadly across the planet, the collective behavior of organizations has been linked to negative effects on the health of the planet. In your view, can philosophy use, usefully address these kind of nested issues uh, where we have the organization itself as it's, as it's being managed by an executive and then collectively across the planet, the effects of the organizational management uh, throughout uh, all of the systems that are nested there? Well, my answer would be yes, definitely. Um, and I will cite a, another example of, of a book that does it really, really, really well. The first thing I would say, though, first in answering the question is, it depends what organizations we're talking about. Obviously, we need to have a broad view of organizations. Initially, the concept is fairly generic and can encompass a number of different types of, of, of organizations or let's say institutions. Um, some organizations actually try to mitigate uh, the negative consequences of what other organizations do. Uh, so groups that try to protect the environment, administrations that try to pass policies to protect biodiversity are organizations. So it depends which organization we're talking about. But if we focus on economic organizations, on firms, on corporations, and obviously they have a lot to answer for, for the predicament we're in uh, now. So can philosophy usefully contribute to a critique of contemporary economic organizations? Yes, definitely. There's many ways in which it can do that. Um, I've already mentioned some of them. To answer briefly, I would just cite one book 
which gives a really good idea, I think, of how a philosophical outlook can bring specific contribution to these discussions. Because obviously, many other disciplines have a lot to say to answer your question. Right? Economic theory, management studies, political theory, empirical political science, critical legal theory, etc. So what can philosophy specifically bring to the table for, for this really important question? One really good example to see how philosophy can specifically contribute is by a Belgian philosopher who now works between Belgium and uh, Harvard in, in the States, who is called Isabel Ferreras. And she's published a book called Firms as Political Entities. It's a fascinating book where she makes the following argument. Basically, her argument is all about what organizations are and what they are about. So how should we view or how should we even define organizations? And based on this, what should we expect from them? So you can see it's, it's typically some an outlook that brings together the analytical dimension and the normative dimension. And what she argues in this book, uh, which you know, legal theorists would, would have to then um, would have to then say whether it's justified or not, but she makes a really good claim both historically and conceptually. So what she argues is that a, a corporation is actually the bringing together the meeting of different groups of people. Uh, so you have uh, the shareholders who have a share in the corporation. You have the managers who in a lot of current uh, corporation law act on behalf of the shareholders, but you also have the workers, the employees, fulfill the work, who do the work that this specific organization is set up for. And you have the customers to whom the goods or services are, are addressed, um, that are produced by, by, the, by the corporation. And then you have broader society around the corporation, the environment, the social, and even the natural environment of the corporation. And her argument is that there has been a terrible, let's say a tragic confusion in um, contemporary history, whereby the shareholder interests are taken over from all the other rights and interests of all the other groups that are part and parcel of an organization or a corporation, whether within, uh, including let's say the workers, and also outside the environment of the corporation. And she claims that it there's been this kind of conceptual uh, shift or sleight of hand or confusion or collapse of the meaning of organizations, which should include all these uh, groups, all these interests. And these groups and interests have been sacrificed for this sole interest of the shareholders. And this collapse or this, um, this shift has dramatic consequences because it means that instead of all the interests involved in, let's say, a, a form of production and distribution and consumption, the type of stuff that organization produce and distribute to uh, the customers, instead of all these interests being taken into account, the only interest that, has, that is now taken into account is the interest of the shareholders, and so basically profit, making profits at the cost of anything else. So she shows this um, fundamental distinction and then argues that the second meaning of organization is the true one, 
and therefore that uh, the rights of uh, workers and employees within organizations should have just as much weight as the rights of shareholders and therefore she argues for a form of workplace democracy. But her argument is actually, has actually much broader implications based on, precisely based on this work of conceptual distinction between two different meanings of organization. That's typically a way, the way in which a philosopher can, can bring very interesting insights to a debate. Yeah, you mentioned uh, shareholder value maximization, uh, which comes out of the Chicago School of Economics, basically, and is tied up with Milton Friedman, who you also mentioned earlier. We've touched on this a bit in previous episodes. I fully agree that uh, uh, it skews the logic too much in one direction if you go for shareholder value maximization. But let's talk about the purpose of a corporation. An important issue within management surrounds the, the goal of what is a corporation actually trying to do. Uh, historically, corporations have been viewed as for-profit enterprises and have largely been defined within that self-serving frame, you could say. Broadly, however, the financial narrative which uh, surrounds the profit uh, idea is only one of many narratives that can be used to view corporations. It should be noted that corporations are chartered by the state and the state has an interest to see that corporations serve the common good rather than only serve themselves. So what does philosophy have to say about this? Well, again, I think philosophy, obviously as a philosopher, I would, I would say this, but I think it, it, philosophy does have a lot to say about, about, about these ends, these aims of, of organizations. Um, a third reference to answer this question is, is uh, an American, a in, very influential contemporary American political philosopher called Elizabeth Anderson, who has a, a, a very important body of work. But recently she's been writing a lot on economic issues and precisely on the logic, the function, the aims of uh, economic organizations particularly in a recent book called Private Government. So she brings in another philosophical outlook into what organizations are for and what should drive organizations. The reference I mentioned before, Isabel Ferreras, terms of, as political entities, gives a really precise and rich answer to, to your question already. And um, as I was trying to summarize her, her argument already, you could see that she would argue that there's a lot more to an organization than just uh, making profits. Anderson uh, brings in other dimensions to the debate because she's very well informed into the exact uh, legislation, say, in, in the United States on how uh, firms and corporations are actually come, come about um, and what the exact rights and duties are. So, yeah, I think... I think um, philosophy would have a lot to say and, and there are these good examples that I've given interestingly by three female female philosophers. From the point of view of a more classical reference, I would say that the type of approach that we see in Hegel would be typically one that that would um, give an interesting and rich answer to, to the question because Hegel would in his philosophy of right um, gives us a, a, a great picture where he's able to define both at the same time why organizations come about. And here, he would say there is nothing wrong with 
let's say, a market logic. The market logic, Hegel would say, has its place in modern societies. But Hegel is also able to show how this is only a limited aspect of uh, what organizations are about, and that there is some type of greater framework within which they have to fit if they are, are to continue to fulfill their functions, even for themselves, so to speak. But especially if we consider that organizations might get in the way of each other through economic competition, but also through, through basic material dimensions, because uh, what one organization does might have a negative impact on what other organizations. And then there's a greater picture of society as a whole. And so Hegel is able to, to delineate those different dimensions and to, to come up with a picture where, on the one hand, the internal logic of organization, including the market logic, is justified, but only partially, and has to fit within the overall logic of society as a whole. And then Hegel asks a question that typically a philosopher would ask. In the end, there has to be a greater aim or a greater end that uh, is the end of society at large, which has, which has to limit the uh, rights and, 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 um, and freedom of organizations. And he tries to give an answer as to what that end of society at large is. This is typically what a philosopher would ask, and hopefully, you know, good philosophers would give a good answer to that. And obviously, this is a normative question, and so it's very simple in the end. It's something along the lines of, surely, the organization of organizations that is society ought to provide for the well-being or the happiness or the freedom, depending on which philosophical concept you want to favor, of each and everyone. And so that's the typical philosophical outlook where the, the, the big picture of looking at society as a whole and what it should aim to fulfill for each and every one goes down to the uh, specific spheres of society and what each of those spheres should, should be doing uh, in relation to that greater, greater aim or greater game, you could say. And so contemporary references can give precise answers to the question, but also good old classical references, I would say, like Hegel, where you have this really nice uh, distinction between levels, levels of society, the level of organization, and then the big picture system, and then asking the normative question, what is the end, the ultimate end of living together? So let's talk a little bit about individuals within organizations. You write that the idea of concrete freedom, which is not freedom from something, but it's freedom within an organizational setting, for instance, uh, which is in tune with the philosophical stance of Hegel, the German philosopher you mentioned earlier. One test of freedom within seems to be whether an individual is at home within her organizational world. As society has moved from an agricultural economy to an industrial economy and now to an information economy, it's been increasingly difficult for an individual to be at home in each new world without welcoming a radically new logic in their lives and in the lives of their families. Individuals that just want to have a job and pay the bills and raise a family often seem ill-prepared to adopt this new logic and way of being that would be necessary for them to succeed in a challenging and professional world. Organizations, for their part, do not seem to be in touch with the logics that they're imposing on their employees. 
in their drive for improved organizational performance. Would you agree with this way of looking at things? Um, yes and no. Um, and again, I think philosophy, philosophical references ha have a lot to contribute to, to, this, um, to these types of questions. I would, the first of all, um, there's a whole sub area of philosophy, let's call it critical theory, which a lot of, a lot of it being influenced by the way by Hegel. Huh? So 20th century philosophers who were influenced by Hegel and Marx and who developed a whole vocabulary to critically analyze modern society and, and all the different dimensions of economic, social, cultural life in modern society. That area of contemporary philosophy has developed some key concepts which would be very useful to, to use to um, describe just, just what you're describing here, the way in which modern individuals ought to fit with, um, with recent developments and the way in which organizations themselves are not in tune with the psychology, the well-being, and the capacities of their employees. So these are concepts like typically acceleration. And so there's a whole body of literature uh, influenced by a German sociologist and philosopher, uh, Hartmut Rosa, which analyzes the way in which contemporary life is in a process of constant acceleration and the problems arising from this. Or you would have a concept like disruption or an older concept like alienation, which would be very useful to analyze what you're, what you're referring to here. Or a concept like precariousness or precarization, which um, is used a lot in the sociology of work, but um, needs some philosophical work to be defined precisely in its different aspects. So a critical theory, uh, literature, uh, philosophical outlook would be very useful to analyze, describe what you're talking about. But I would, I would be a little bit cautious with uh, this way of looking at things because there is a tendency in contemporary philosophy to stress a little bit too much, I think, how different modern society is from previous historical periods. If you think about it, in the 19th century, for example, there were massive disruptions to, people, to people's lives as a result of industrial uh, progress, economic shifts, uh, different ways of organizing economic life. And even before the Industrial Revolution, there were always upheavals where people had to have their lives completely um, challenged the organization of social life, cultural life, individuals had to suddenly change completely how they would uh, live just because of the, of the massive upheavals around them. So I would be careful here not to stress too much how different our time is. And I think here, there's something that philosophers, I think, are not very good at at the moment, which is include a serious, uh, substantial historical perspective in their inquiries. We tend to have a very... Uh, an overly uh, focused narrative on modernity and we forget that a lot of the things we say are true in modernity in fact might have been true in some way or another in previous times. All that being said, I think obviously there is a problem with contemporary developments, the types of disruption that we see in labor markets, in the way in which uh, automation, AI is completely is, is starting to challenge um, the way we work and the way people are employed. Um, here, the, the, the best reference, probably or one of the 
most uh, important references is not necessarily by a philosopher, but it's uh, the, the famous um, sociologist of work in Oxford, Carl Frey, Carl Benedict Frey. In his book, The Technology Trap, he um, analyzes precisely the last 200 years of industrial, industrial transformations and the impact of industrial transformations on, on, um, on workers. The conclusion he draws from this is, is actually ambivalent. Um, on the one hand, a lot of uh, spheres of the labor market, aspects of the labor market, are majorly disrupted by industrial progress. But it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, an uh, employment in the end suffers too much. New jobs are created, new needs are created, but the problem is uh, the adaptation of large parts of the population to rapidly changing patterns. That is a problem, and it's a problem in the two directions that you that you mentioned of individuals within organizations and organizations towards their, their employees. Yes. Well, in a, in a short episode like this, uh, we can only scratch the surface of uh, what you deal with on a daily basis in philosophy and what philosophy might have to offer for organizations and their management. Are there other areas that we've not covered that you'd like to call attention to before we close? And what's the best way for our listeners to engage with you further? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I've, I've been working on, on issues of work for, for the last 10 years with a number of colleagues, and I'm currently uh, in the middle of a, of a project funded by the Australian Research Council, which looks at arguments for and against the idea that work is central to our lives our lives as individuals and the life the, the, and societies. And so this idea of the centrality of work. And so um, this is directly linked to the, the problem of, of organizations, life, you know, lives in organization, the duty, the rights, the responsibilities, the aims of organizations. So that project has a number of, of uh, outlets and outcomes. One of them is a website uh, that I'm developing which tries to map out arguments for work, let's say, and arguments against work. This idea that work is central or that it's a problem that work has become so important to us. So that uh, website is called uh, On Work. The uh, internet address, the, the address of the website is onwork.edu.au. And uh, I encourage uh, your listeners to visit uh, the site um, and if they would want, if they would be interested, they could um, contact me and, and identify gaps in the, in the website. It's a repository of references. Um, I try to cover all the different ways in which work is discussed uh, positively or negatively and uh, people are very welcome to, to contribute to the project. Excellent. Well, we'll have links to that website in the show notes. It's been great having you with us on the program today, Jean-Philippe. Thanks for all your help in organizing this. And uh, best of luck in your future endeavors. Thank you very much for your interest. And thank you for inviting me to, to talk with you today. And that's about it for today. Join me again next time when we'll consider more stories about organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. So long for now. <laughs>